Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C. Our host today is John Asher. CEO and founder of Asher Strategies. His guest is David Morelli, founder of Org Coach, an executive coaching and a leadership training company specializing in guiding executives and teams through crises and uncertainty. The title of the show is The Neuroscience of Leading High-Performance Sales Teams. Over to you, John. David, appreciate you coming on the show. So great for us. Yeah, uh, happy so to be here. Start with, so let me start with a... Uh, question that I know you'll like, and that is you have trained so many executives over so many years, including a lot of sales executives. What do you notice that uh, some of the big problems and challenges that they struggle with? I would say the number one thing is that leaders struggle with change and rolling out change. Oftentimes, our businesses, whether as sales professionals or as sales leaders, that in general, people struggle with change. And I know with COVID, you know, and this whole crisis that has thrown many people's brains into uncertainty and doubt and, and all that. And our brains, if we can understand, though, how our brains are wired, we can help people navigate change and to do it well. Excellent. So I'm sure you've heard the old sales term, FUD. Yeah. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And what interesting thing about change is now, the country is full of what are called transformation consultants. Yeah. They used to be called change consultants. Yeah, yeah. Meaning change is so difficult, you got to bring in consultants to help, <laughs> to help you do yeah. it. <laughs> yep. And one part of the neuroscience that really applies to this, of course, is what's called the status quo bias. And yeah. trying to get buyers to change when they're happy or okay with their current uh, supplier or vendor or team is difficult. Agreed. In many ways, Change is one of those things that people will latch on to whatever the current, whatever the status quo is, regardless of whether it's working for them or not, until and unless, in, in my experience and in sort of how the, the brain works from a neuroscience perspective, until and unless they feel either some kind of pain for what the current status quo is giving them, you know, an unintended consequence or something that they haven't been aware of, or the brain is given something to look forward to that requires them to let go of the current set of circumstances. The status quo, for me, it's an analogous to a large boulder, right? It's almost like you need a crowbar to pry up a boulder if you want to clear a field to plant new crops. And in many ways, the status quo can be the heavy thing that you have to get out of the way. And uh, sometimes it feels like Though when things are changing too rapidly, it's almost like the boulder is getting laid on our chests, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter whether it's pain or gain, right? It's <laughs> yeah. Well, one of them has hurt. to be present and it has to be uh, important enough you know, that people start to, to move. Agree. Can you peel back the onion just a bit on how the brain is affected by this? And Yeah. When we face... FUD, as you mentioned, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, our brains actually lose 10 to 15 IQ points, which is wow. somewhat shocking. 
And so by contrast, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm in Denver, Colorado. That's uh, where, where my home is. And so Denver and Colorado was one of the first places to introduce uh, marijuana. And uh, I'm not necessarily a, a user myself, but what's interesting about it is that marijuana use, if people are high on pot, you only lose five IQ points versus 10 to 15 in fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which means that you're two to three times as incapacitated, if you will, right? <laughs> when we're going through big changes. And again, society right now is facing a lot of change, but there's one example that I use as sales leaders is whenever you do something as dramatic as changing the comp plan for salespeople, right? Uh, the, the brain sort of gets into panic mode, right? And helping leaders navigate that panic mode and to skillfully crafting change will actually prevent people from going into the fear, uncertainty, and doubt response and actually getting into the excited response. And both are states of arousal, but one is very creative and will end up being much more productive. And so that's where I see leaders uh, struggle a little bit is how do I design changes? No, it's, it's a great question. And if I lost 15 points off of my IQ, there wouldn't be much. There wouldn't be much <laughs> well, that I know isn't true, but <laughs> you'd, be a, you'd be closer to a mere mortal. <laughs> I've been involved in some change for comp plans. And what I've observed is if you just lay it on salespeople, then you got a revolt. But yeah. if, you, if you start with a meeting and get them all engaged and tell them strategically and tactically why the company's got to change it, get them yes. involved, and then you yes. make sure that whatever you decide you're going to do, they're on board with, and you roll it out, say, over six months or a year. So essentially, yeah. they don't really lose any money. Then you have a really good chance of being successful. Anything less than that, you're in trouble. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. There, there's something you mentioned involvement. And involvement is one of the keys to helping the brain get on board with things. And the, the reason is, is uh, what I call the psychological immune system. And here's what I mean by that. So we all have physical immune systems, right? We all, like, we, we fight off viruses and bacteria, and hopefully we do. And in general, the way that that works is that the body identifies things that are foreign and it fights off those things that are foreign in order to keep the body safe, right? So yep. the, the sort of basis of a physical immune system. The basis of a psychological immune system is kind of the same thing. It's uh, if I helped to create an idea, I won't fight it off to the same degree as if you introduce it to me and say, this is just what's going to happen and what is, right? In some ways, that becomes a foreign concept or idea. And so my psychological immune system will fight off what you tell me to do. But if you involve me in the process, to your point, the body or the psychology considers it to be native. And once it becomes native and I participated in the process of it, then I can actually be behind it. I can fuel it and I can help it succeed. I've always said that a great idea supported by no one will always be outperformed by a mediocre idea supported by everyone. <laughs> good, and, good to totally agree. <laughs> and, 
And the, yeah, and the reason is we, people have, when they've been involved, they can help the idea evolve, right? They'll make it successful versus what most leaders do is they come in and they say, I have this amazing idea and here's, it's going to change your life. And oh, by the way, start it today. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you lost me even from you came up with the idea. So involvement, exactly. to your point, is incredibly helpful. One of the cognitive biases is called the boss bias. And mm-hmm. that is if, if you're in a meeting and there's a boss and the boss with a challenge gives their opinion first, I know you know this, then you totally affect how everybody else is going to respond. Yeah. And so I've learned, I mean, I'm, I'm that type of leader. That's how I really want to do it. I just want to tell everybody else what to do and we're done. Every <laughs> time for happy hour. <laughs> right. Well, I've learned exactly. in a meeting, you got to get everybody else's opinion first. And in yeah. some cases, a couple of them don't want to give their opinion. So you got to beat it. I mean, encourage them <laughs> to give their opinion. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then in the end, you really have a, a great plan going forward because they've all kind of given their opinion. We've all bought in and, and as you know, nobody, including you or me, has a monopoly on good ideas. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. I love that. Beating it out. I mean, uh, encouraging them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think that's the challenge with how people come into leadership, at least what I've found in being over 20 years in the executive coaching industry and, and sort of realm, is that everybody moves up the ranks as a result of being recognized as capable. And so it's usually we promote the top producer, the highest performer, but at the next level and the next level and the next level, right? The concept is, well, if I'm in this role, then I have to have the right ideas. I have to be the smartest one in the room because if I'm not, why am I getting paid more than anybody else who's in the room, right? And it leads us to try and prove our worth. And from that position then, then we, we say, well, I'm supposed to have the answer. But that runs counter to the, the boss bias, as you mentioned, right? Because yeah. we're wired to want to be the expert. And yet, that actually runs counter to changes being adopted, people feeling involved, your success as a team being that you rolled out an initiative that's supported by everyone. And so it's the brain, as you know, can be counterintuitive, right? We have to know oh, our yeah. meanings in order to unwind. John, no, I totally agree. John, it's time for a quick commercial break. And let's do that break to remind you that over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. That's right natural aptitude. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ as they call it, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. If you want to find out how to find the winners and choose the right people, go to asherstrategies.com or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. And now back to our show. We've been speaking with David Morelli about the neuroscience of leading high-performance sales teams. Now back to John and David. So one other example 
of your point, Dave, is another aspect to it is aptitude, people's natural aptitude for jobs. And, you know, I've only been fired from one job, and that was sales manager. And (laughs) so I have a fairly high aptitude for, for sales. Yeah. I have no aptitude for sales management. And back then when I agreed to that job, because, hey, yay, more money, right. um, I had no idea that my aptitude was so low for it. And I didn't. I only lasted about two months before I got shifted back to outside sales again. <laughs> it's right back to the, the so-called Peter principle, right? <laughs> right. Here's what I find fascinating about that, though. What did you struggle with in that couple months? Was it trying to be the remain the expert, perform still, or what was that for you? So we use an assessment called the Advanced Personality Questionnaire, and it measures nine personality traits. Mm-hmm. And for any job, it may, mainly we're interested in sales. And so one of, the, one of the ways I was in the red zone for sales manager was need to nurture. Mm. My need to nurture other people is pretty low. Another was um, I have a very low uh, detail orientation. Another one was I'm totally high in intensity and drive. I have no patience to suffer <laughs> fools or non-performers. Right, so okay. This wouldn't work for me. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That sounds like a very yeah. useful assessment. Yeah, it just depends. I mean, my one of my sons is real high for sales and sales manager. So he's a guy you could promote to sales manager. Right. But I'm not. I'm, I'm polar opposite in both of those. So David... Well, can you give us some examples of a, maybe an executive team you work where you where you can illustrate some of these neuroscience principles? Yeah, you know, uh, I worked with many I've worked with many teams, and you know, not just the the head of sales, but the CEO as well as their sort of C suite team. And it's funny because the sales person will always sell, right? And yep. I find that cross functional communication is probably one of the largest and most impactful things to cultivate is a true collaborative team at the C-suite or the senior executive level. And one of the things that sales leaders run into is that they can't stop themselves from selling. And so they come in, right? They come into a room and everybody knows that they're going to have an opinion and everyone knows that they're going to try and get their opinion to be bought by everyone else. But it goes back to what we were talking about with involvement is the, the big miss for many people, not only at, with their teams, but also cross-functionally is to encourage opinions and a diversity of ideas around the collaborative table. So instead of saying, I'm going to take this position and fight for my position, if you can become curious, you actually end up getting, to your point, uh, better ideas coming out. But also you can see how people are motivated and then you can hook your idea into a larger set of ideas, right? That that yeah. you end up rallying and getting more support. I worked with one, he was the, the head of business development and the head of sales and business development. Uh, I helped him sort of through that track. And then I encouraged him to do the stuff that we were just talking about. Yeah. And what happened was the president ended up moving on in the organization. And the only person, I was talking with the CEO because I'd been coaching him for probably seven years at that point. I was talking with the CEO and he said, there's really only one person who can take over the company. 
and that is the head of sales. And he said this because he's the only one that everyone respects because he asks their opinions before offering his own. And so then he's promoted and uh, he's done a phenomenal job because he's kept that set of principles in mind. It reminds me of one of the most famous statements about sales and, um, and that is there's this revolutionary new concept. Listen to the customer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we don't tend to see our team members as customers as often as maybe we should. Totally agree. It's the, uh, it's the old servant leader approach. Absolutely. See it's, yourself uh, on the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. Um, let me just shift the subject to motivation for a second. Um, as you know, sales leaders are always trying to motivate their teams. And yeah. so from a cognitive perspective, what, what gets in the way typically? There's a couple of things, actually. Number one is how much we believe in what we're selling or what we're doing. And this goes back to a study, actually, that done by Harvard professor named Lakshmi Ramarajan and her team. And what they looked at was a sales team and the degree to which they truly believed in what they were selling versus they were trying to believe. They felt conflicted about whatever it is that they were selling. And, and the results were that if there was an average, average sales being whatever that number was, that those who really believed in whatever they were selling performed 27% higher in their actual sales numbers. And those who felt conflicted were 44% below the mean. And so what it comes down to psychologically for each of us is what I call dovetailing values. As a sales leader, or really even as a sales professional, if you think about asking people to sell a certain product, your job is to help align the product or the sort of outcomes of the product with what a person already believes in. And what I mean by that is if you believe fundamentally that you're here to help people have a better life, whatever that means, or to live their purpose or fulfill their set of values, if that's what you already believe, then your job either as an individual or a sales leader, is to help find the places that have that outcome be realized through the sale of a product. I remember when I first started off in sales, I was 20 years old. I was in San Diego, California, and we were selling websites. And literally our first line was, hi there, do you have a website? And they'd say, what's a website? (laughs) and and we'd have to try and convince them right that uh, websites were in fact going to be a thing and I remember I was terrible at that partially because I didn't realize what it was going to do for people it was just a product I was selling and and later on in my career I ended up selling things that I truly did believe in things around helping to train coaches to help other people's lives be better, et cetera. And I found out that I'm actually really good at sales, but my first experience was where I was conflicted. And so the more that we can dig into the values that already exist and align that with our product, the more productive our salespeople will end up being. John, it's time for the wrap up. Okay, well, David, thanks so much. I heard at least uh, three great ideas you've you've, uh, covered. And, you know, many of our listeners are listening on the car radio or they're jogging or walking the dog. 
and pretty much can't take notes, could you kind of summarize your three your three points you'd like everybody to remember? Absolutely. I would say that most people struggle with change and we lose 10 to 15 IQ points when we're in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so to be gentle with ourselves or compassionate with ourselves as we're going through change and or as leaders when we're designing change, we have to be thoughtful and involve people. And that comes to the second one, which is we all have a psychological immune system that fights off ideas that are foreign, which means, again, that we need to involve people. And the last one is that people, when they're feeling like they're in conflict about whatever they're selling, they end up performing worse. And so we have to tap into what people already believe in order to help boost our sales and our sales productivity. All right, that's terrific. I, that's kind of what I got out of, out of our talk as well, so so great. I know your main business is coaching leaders. If some of the listeners wanted to get a hold of you for the, just to see what's going on with your coaching and how it could help them, how would they, how would they get a hold of you, David? I'd say the best way is to go to my website, which is orgcoach.com. Org is O-R-G, like organizational. And so organization coaching. So it's orgcoach.com. Got it. Terrific. Yeah. Thanks so much, yeah. David. Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. And thank you, John and David. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. 